This message was presented at the GYC 2012 conference in Seattle, Washington. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Good afternoon, everyone. It's our last day or last full day of GYC. I think it kind of echoes a little bit. Have you had a good day? Were you all at the plenary session this morning? Wasn't that amazing? I love what he said about um, creating a culture of uh, a missionary mindset, you know, in the church. And as we're talking about God's will, etc., you know, God has a will for his church too. And that, you know, it is part of his will also to reach out to others and fulfilling their needs, right? I... When, when I was um, listening to Sam Bonello, I searched this quote that I had read once from Mahatma Gandhi. It says, there are people in the world who are so hungry that God cannot appear to them except in the form of bread. You know, they're so hungry, God comes to them in the form of bread. We need to, we need to look at these needs of the world, right, and fulfill them in Ways that are not conventionally, you know, not just giving Bible studies um, or seminars, etc., um, fulfilling their needs and ministering to them. Um, I thought since Adam did a little plug on peace, I should do my shameless plug too about the ministry that I'm involved in. Um, how many of you guys are college students? Awesome. How many of you are high school students? Okay, a little bit um, fewer. But um, I'm involved in this ministry called ANU in the East Coast area. So I told you I'm a student uh, on a secular university. Uh, I'm studying at Princeton right now. And what this ministry is doing, uh, I've been involved with it for the past four and a half years, um, pretty much during my graduate studies, is a networking organization that link up Adventist students who are studying at secular universities. As we go out to these universities, we desire to be not just regular students, but to be ambassadors for Christ, right? Uh, A lot of Adventists go to uh, secular universities, end up losing their faith, uh, end up not coming to church anymore. Um, We want to, you know, capture and network, meet up with these students before, you know, there's so many temptations, so many other distractions at school. Um, We need to keep the young people in the church as well as evangelizing. You know, these universities have tens of thousands of students there, 18 to 22. Um, These are ages where people are searching uh, and very open to the truth if we, you know, dare approach them. And um, we want to evangelize. These are mission fields, people from all over the world, people from the Middle East, people from all parts of the world, you know, places where we will never go, perhaps, but they come to these places to study. And in these places, you know, we can rub shoulders with future leaders of the world, perhaps. And if we can share the gospel with them, it could impact the world and, you know, hasten the gospel spreading in the world. Anyway, so um, we are in the mid-Atlantic region, so pretty much from New York down to Virginia. There are about seven states. Right now, we have about 30 campuses in the network. We meet up a few times a year, do training, how to do Bible studies on campus, hold evangelistic series on these secular universities, 
Uh, so if any of you guys are thinking or praying about or will be in the East Coast region, uh, I'd be happy to talk to you. Uh, we'd, love, we'd love to get connected and just rally together um, for the cause of God on these campuses. So I thought I, I would share that a little bit, um, just in case any of you guys are in the area too. Okay, so we'll um, basically begin. This is our last session. How many of you have been here since the beginning? Oh, awesome. That's really great. Um, we come basically, you know, as we, as we go through this last session, keep in mind all everything that we've been going through, right? Um, these sections are not just, you know, one in itself. You apply the principles of previous ones to this one, too. So we'll do a little review of the previous sections, and I'll go over um, the material for this session and finally conclude. So before we do that, why don't we bow our, um, our heads for prayer one more time. Father in heaven, as we continue in our journey to discover your will, uh, to obey your will and to follow it, Father, uh, I pray that you will continue to give us that uh, heart that wants to follow, hearts that want to obey, uh, give us a teachable spirit, a humility um, that is, we cannot uh, make it ourselves, Father. We need you to give that to us. And please be with us in this hour. Give us your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, by way of review, uh, in the first section, we talked about the prerequisite, which runs through um, all throughout, right? The point of knowing God's will is to follow it. And there's no point of going through this ordeal of discovering God's will if we're not going to follow it. Uh, so, the purity of heart, obedience is key. And then in the second section, titled, What I Feel and What God said, God Says, we talked about following the known will of God. I'm going to put this on a little bit. It sounds really loud. The known will of God, the expressed will of God in his word, and contrasting it with our feelings. Um, we said that we shouldn't rely on impressions alone as a guide to duty and uh, warnings about following and making decisions based on feelings only. And then in the third section, we talked about certain principles. How do we get wisdom so that we can make the right decisions? Uh, we talked about knowing God's will, uh, not just you know, trying to get this information out of God, but knowing God himself. We know God's will because we know his character. We know what he's like. And there are avenues to do that. We commune with God through Bible study, through prayer, um, and taking time to reflect. Um, so, you know, as we study, I said that note to students. When, if you're students, take time as you end your semester or after your exam, take time to reflect. What is it that you're actually learning? We study to gain knowledge, but when we reflect, we gain wisdom. Take time to reflect uh, what is it that God has taught you in our spiritual life, in all kinds of experiences that you go through in life. And then uh, the key point here is that God can reveal his will through our thoughts, through our minds, through our character, by transforming us in the inside, as he transforms us to be like Jesus. Transformation of character, um, his will becomes natural to us. There's this quote that um, I didn't include in the last one, but... Uh, is very, very profound. It's from the desire of ages. 
it says, all true obedience comes from the heart. It was hard work with Christ. And if we consent, he will so identify himself with our thoughts and aims, so blend our hearts and minds into conformity to his will, that when obeying him, we shall be but carrying out our own impulses. The will, refined and sanctified, will find its highest delight in doing his service. When we know God as it is our privilege to know him, our life will be a life of continual obedience. Isn't that wonderful? That's, that's the perfection of Christian character that we desire. God wants so much to align his mind with our minds. That's why we commune with God through our Bible studies. We want our minds to be transformed in God's image. He will align himself with our thoughts and aims that when we're obeying God, it's our impulse. You know, Ellen White talks a lot about warning against um, impulse or selfish impulses or passion, making decisions out of that. But in, these, in this sense, uh, this is one of the few um, few quotes where she uses the word impulse in a positive sense. You know, we talk about impulse. This is our immediate, reflection, uh, immediate reaction, right? It's like a reflex. Think about that. When our impulse is obedience to the will of God. That's what God wants us to do. Um, reveal his will and align it with our will. And then the next section, this, is, uh, this was the fourth one. That's when God says no. What do we do when discouragement or the answer that God revealed to us is not um, as, our expected, as, as we expected or not what we exactly wanted? This is a, a quote that is such an encouragement for me personally. It comes from the Ministry of Healing, chapter 40. The title of this chapter is Help in Daily Living. It says, our plans are not always God's plans. He may see that it is best for us and for his cause to refuse our very best intentions as he did in the case of David. And here, there, there are many reasons why God would say no, right? Sometimes our requests are selfish. Uh, sometimes it doesn't do any good to the world or to his cause. But sometimes, even, even when we ask in our very best intentions, for example, when David wanted to build this temple for God, he loved God's sanctuary so much. He loved God so much. He wanted to build a sanctuary for God. In that case, God said no because of the, for the requester, right? Like the, David himself was a man of blood. That's why God said no. But David did ask from his very best intention. But God said no. So continuing here. But of one thing we may be assured, he will bless and use in the advancement of his cause those who sincerely devote themselves and all they have to his glory. If he sees it best not to grant their desires, he will counterbalance the refusal by giving them tokens of his love and entrusting to them another service. You know, when God says no, he's not just, um, you know, okay, I'm going to say no, you deal with it. Um, we can be assured of this, that he will counterbalance our disappointment you know, if, if it's our best intention to do certain things, but God said no, he will counterbalance that refusal, heal our disappointments by giving us tokens of his love. You will feel a special presence of God, uh, special tokens of his love, um, that even though he said no, 
we can be assured that he's still with us. So just uh, you know, remember this quote when you're going through that. It's an encouragement. And then we looked at detours and redemption. Not underestimating God's power of redemption. When we make mistakes, we may not be uh, following God's first and primary plan for us, but God's redemption is so full and wide that even though, even though we deviate from his plans, he could redeem it back, right? And this is such a, an encouragement for sinners like us um, that the plan isn't just all shattered when we make one simple mistake. Um, there's, there's a quote in, in the book of Education, that is really, really fascinating. How many of you have read the book of Education? Okay, few people. But the book of Education is my favorite Spirit of Prophecy book. I would encourage you all to read it, um, especially students. But it's not just for students, obviously. I don't think there's any single book that affects my worldview as much as this one. But there's this quote in the first chapter, which is such an awesome chapter. Ellen White says, when Adam came from the Creator's hand, he bore in his physical, mental, and spiritual nature a likeness to his Maker. It was his purpose, it was God's purpose, that the longer man lived, the more fully he should reveal this image, the more fully reflect the glory of the Creator. All his faculties were capable of development, their capacity and vigor were continually to increase. And then continuing. Throughout eternal ages, he would have continued to gain new treasures of knowledge, to discover fresh springs of happiness, and to obtain clearer and yet clearer conceptions of the wisdom, the power, and the love of God. More and more fully would he have fulfilled the object of his creation, the more and more fully have reflected the Creator's glory. Now think about this, right? Adam and Eve were made perfect. No sin, perfect. But with that perfection in the initial, initial creation, in the initial plan, this was God's plan. They weren't static people. There's such thing as growth in heaven. You know, in, when we get to heaven, we'll still continue to grow. God's plan was that the longer he lives, with each day that man would live, he would reflect the creator more and more. He would reflect his image more and more. You know, God created men and women in his image, that they would reflect his image. This will be truer and truer the longer men lived, right? Baffling. There's, it's a path of continual growth, path of infinite growth. Because of sin, of course, this plan disrupted, got disrupted, right? Uh, men, Adam and Eve sinned, and, they, and thus this whole detour of sin. I mean, it's a pretty huge and messy uh, detour, wouldn't you say? Um, so God's first plan that didn't include sin was disrupted. But what you find when you, when you read the book of education, one of the last things there, the last chapter, I think, it says that heaven is a school, the subject matter is the universe, and God is the teacher. Um, that just baffles my mind. You know, I mean, some of you are like, what a nerd. Uh, but that's just awesome. You know, in heaven, we'll continue to know more and more about the universe, about, about the plan of salvation, about nature. You know, I mean, think of studying science in heaven or 
whatever the case may be. It, there will be continual growth still. When God redeems us from, from this earth, from sin, he will restore us this initial plan that we will continue to reflect his image more and more as we grow. I mean, talk about plan A or going to plan B and then ending up in the initial stage, right? God's redeeming power is so powerful. Kind of like a repetitive statement. Redemption. So after all of that, after making sure our heart is pure, after applying the principles of the Bible to discover God's will, after knowing what to do with disappointments, uh, when God says no, after knowing that God can redeem us uh, from, from our mistakes, from sins, now we come to this, this uh, last seminar, which I titled, Where are the Fireworks? Um, basically, I just want to spend some time, perhaps not as new information, but as an encouragement to all of us, when, when we are already following God's will. Once we follow that, that will of God, you know, God has revealed to us, we have aligned our will with God's will, and we follow it, what happens then? You know, is that the end, happily ever after? I mean, I wish it was that simple, right? Uh, but the, the story continues, right? Uh, what happens when you're going through and walking with God? Uh, things, discouragements, uh, and trials can come. And it's, it's important to keep that in mind and to not be wavered uh, in our assurance of God's will because of incidences. So, so what we're going to look at is the, the education of the Israelites, the school in the wilderness. So let's open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. Now the Israelites were a people chosen by God. And, you know, if you look at the, the experience in the wilderness, they were literally being led by God, right? They were, they were literally following God's will um, in our daily experiences. They had a leader, which was the pillar of cloud, um, and, and Moses too. So let's uh, open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 12. This is the story um, at the end of the ten plagues where the Israelites were about to leave Egypt. Starting in verse 31. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night, and said, Rise up, and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Also take your flocks and your herds, and as you have said, be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we be all dead men. The Egyptians were you know, urging the Israelites to leave because their firstborn uh, were dying. Verse 34, And the people took their dough before it was leavened, their netting troughs being bound up in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians Jew jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of Egyptians, so that they lent unto them such things as they required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. You know, think about this. The Israelites, they were enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt, right? They're a nation of slaves. The Egyptians didn't particularly like them at this point because they were experiencing all these plagues because they were holding the Israelites in captive. 
When they get out, the Israelites were borrowing stuff from the Egyptians, and the Egyptians were freely giving them away. I mean, that's, that's favor in God. You know, when God gives you favor, there's no limit to what people will do to you. Verse 51, jumping to the end of the, jumping to the, end of the, um, the chapter. And it came to pass the self same day that the Lord did bring the children out of the land of Egypt by their armies. You know, in this first stage of following God's will, in this particular instance, it was God's will to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. There's the, the new excitement, right? I mean, Pastor Shin last night talked about this initial adrenaline rush as he started the marathon. Very, very um, analogous to the Christian experience sometimes. The initial stage, the exodus, you know, they were so excited. Imagine they were enslaved for hundreds of years. Some people were born, generations were born in slavery in Egypt. Came out of Egypt. Chapter 13, the next, um, just maybe one page over. Chapter 13, verses 20 to 22. And they took their journey from Succoth and encamped in Etham in the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. When you follow God's will, he'll give you this... Uh, what is what is that called? Sustenance, or he, he will sustain you, and he will provide for you. You know the Israelites were going to wilderness, right? They have lots of stuff. There are a lot of people, and God gave them a physical, visible manifestation of His presence and His leading. And this is done by the pillar of cloud. Now imagine, right? In the wilderness, it was it's scorching by day. The pillar of cloud would shelter them so that their feet weren't scorched. By night, it's so cold, you know, the wilderness, the sand gets really cold at night. The pillar of fire keeps them warm. What they were having is quite a luxurious, comfortable living arrangement in the wilderness. God was leading them out of Egypt. They followed God, and he gave them what they needed, right? He, he would, later on, he would give them manna. They could say, God's mercy is new every morning. You know, it's, it's exciting. All of this is good. The initial excitement uh, of God's leading. And this is good. You know, this is, this is good. It's part of it. There's nothing wrong with being excited when we follow God's will. What happens next? Go to, um, well, continuing on in chapter 14. Chapter 14, starting in verse 1. So just before chapter 14... The Bible says it was the pillar of cloud and pillar of fire who was leading them, right, in the, in the wilderness, at the edge of the wilderness before they go in. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they turn and encamp before Pihahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, over against Baal Sifon, before it shall ye, before it shall ye encamp by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are entangled in the land, the wilderness hath shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that he shall follow after them. 
and I will be honored upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord and they that so. Notice that it was, who, who told them to camp by the sea? It was God, right? So God told them to camp by the sea at this point. Jump to verse 9. Verse 9, it says, But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen and his army and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pihahiroth before Baal Sifon. This is the exact same place, right? So, so God was leading them to a particular place. You know, before they knew what was going on, it was fine. They followed God, camped by the sea, by the water. Maybe it's nice. And then, what between verse 4 and verse 9, what happened was that the Egyptians, it occurred to them that the Israelites would be trapped in the wilderness. Um, it occurred to them, hey, maybe, um, maybe we should actually go after them. And they did. Um, so the Egyptians pursued the Israelites by the sea. And verse 10, When Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord, and they said unto Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Wherefore hast thou dealt thus with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? That sea uh, where they were led by God to camp um, felt like a dead end, right? But it was God who actually brought them there. So, so in, when we follow God, there are certain things or certain situations where it may seem like it's dead end. But it doesn't mean that God wasn't leading. You know, in this situation, the Israelites were led by God to the seeming dead end by the sea. And what did the Israelites do when they, were, when they realized that, oh my gosh, they might actually die here? They murmured against God, right? Instead of having faith, instead of remembering the deliverance that God did in the beginning, they murmured against God, against Moses. Verse 13, Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Now here's the contrast of our, the attitude. When we are facing this kind of situation, we follow God, um, and there, there are situations that seem like dead end. There's one choice, which was to murmur and to complain against God. On the other hand, the reaction that Moses gave should be our example, which is he exercised his faith, right? Um, when I was canvassing, there's this quote in corporate ministry, I don't remember what page, but it says that you should act and talk as if your faith is invincible. Exercise, you know, trials, and we'll talk about this later. Trials is opportunities to exercise your faith. And sometimes you just can't rely on your feelings or even your, your senses. You need to exercise your faith and be sure in God. Uh, Moses here stood firm. Um, he knew that God, it was God who led them out of Egypt. Why would God destroy them now? Moses had faith in God, and he said, just see the salvation of the Lord. At this point, Moses didn't know what God would do yet. God was going to reveal that to Moses soon. But he exercised faith, right? He could see beyond and exercise his faith. And that's, 
that's a, a lesson for us. You know, we don't need to know everything. Actually, it's when we don't know things that we, ex- we can exercise our faith and believe in God. Let's keep on reading. Verse 14, it says, The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. But lift thou up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Jump to verse 19. And the angel of God, this is as, as the Israelites were moving, were moving uh, you know, across the, the, parted, the parted sea. The angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, you know, that pillar of fire, talked, or pillar of cloud, before it was mentioning that uh, the Bible said the pillar would go before them. Now this angel of the Lord, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that one came not near the other all the night. Isn't this fascinating? This pillar of cloud was the leader, right? He was uh, leading. He was going before the Israelites. Every step that Israelites took, God already went before them. Now, when this situation uh, came, the enemies were pursuing them. This pillar of fire came over and above the camp of the Israelites, and it moved behind them, and it became the mediator or the, the, um, the, the divider between the Israelites and the Egyptians. And what's fascinating is that it gave light to the Israelites and it gave darkness to the Egyptians. There was a split, you know. So when we go and follow God's will, we can be sure of his providence and his protection. Some of the things that became um, a challenge or danger to some people are the very things that are our protection because we are in God's, God's you know, plan God's will. So it is is always the safest way to be, to be where God wants you to be. It is always the safest. It doesn't matter what happens around you. You know, the early church, no matter where they went, the safest place that they could be was in God's will. Wherever the Spirit led, that would be their safest place. So this pillar of cloud went... um, Became, from, the, from, becoming, from being the leader became a source of protection to them. So the children of Israel went uh, in the midst of the sea upon dry ground, and the wall, you know, the water became a wall to them. Uh, it was previously a challenge. Now it became a source of protection. And we know the story. The Egyptians pursued them, and uh, when they were in the middle of the ocean, the water came and basically, the enemies of the Israelites were destroyed, right? So that's uh, the, the last verses of this chapter in verses um, 29. In chapter 14, the children of Israel walked upon dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall unto them on, on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw that great work which the Lord, the Lord did upon the Egyptians. And the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. 
At first, it seemed like God was leading them to a dead end. As it turns out, God knew what he was going to do. Um, that sea, which was um, a barrier to them, split, became dry ground, and God delivered them in a very mighty way, right? The next chapter, the Israelites were singing and dancing and celebrating of God's great deliverance. You know, this is the stuff that we like to hear in testimonies, right? The great deliverances of God, uh, incidents that are really dramatic, and these, is, these are part of our experiences when we follow God's will. There are challenges, and God will help you overcome them, and we should sing and rejoice and praise God. But these are not all the experiences of the Israelites, right? Um, these are the beginnings, and God was establishing them Um, awakening faith in them that they could actually trust God. They could trust him in his providence. They could trust him in his protection. Um, But, you know, they spent their their time in the wilderness for 40 40, uh, years, right? How many times did the, the sea split before their eyes? Once in this beginning, and then God split the water up again near the Jordan when they were close to to Canaan. Um, But, you know, 40 40 years, 365 days, there's a lot of days. God did give them manna continuously. Uh, But it's not like they saw this parted sea every single day, right? Let's turn um, our Bibles to Numbers chapter 9. Numbers chapter 9. Verses 15 to 23. Continuing the journey of the Israelites in the wilderness and this pillar of cloud that was their leader. And on the day that the tabernacle was reared up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, namely the tent of the testimony. And at even, there was upon the tabernacle, as it were, the appearance of fire until the morning. Cloud by day, fire by night. So it was always the cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And when the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, then after that the children of Israel journeyed. And in the place where the cloud abode, there the children of Israel pitched their tents. You see, this was their signal. This pillar of cloud cloud was, was their signal on where to go. When that cloud descended upon the tabernacle, they would pitch their tent there. And when that cloud was lifted up upon the tabernacle, then they would move. This was how they journeyed in the wilderness. Verse 18. At the commandment of the Lord, the children of Israel journeyed, and at the commandment of the Lord, they pitched. As long as the cloud abode upon the tabernacle, they rested in their tents. And when the cloud tarried long upon the tabernacle many days, then the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and journeyed not. And so it was when the cloud was a few days upon the tabernacle, according to the commandment of the Lord, they abode in their tents, and according to the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. In this passage, again and again, it says, at the commandment of the Lord, they rose up. At the commandment of the Lord, they stopped. This is called obedience, right? Obedience in trusting God's leading. When God is moving, then you move with God. When God stops, you stop. It's, it's, not, about, it's not about going to Canaan and marching on, Continuously, you know, let's get there as fast as you can. But you go where God is. You know, the, the, the reason why we want to follow God's will is not 
really because of the rewards or what the will is in itself. You just want to be where God wants you to be and you want to be with God, right? That should be the source of following His will. It's because we love Him so, so much, we want to be where He is, that we follow His will. Let's continue on. 21, so it was when the cloud abode from even unto the morning, that the cloud was taken up in the morning, then they, then they journeyed. When it was by day or by night that the clouds was taken up, they journeyed. Now, look at this, right? When, when the cloud, it's, whenever the cloud rises up, then the children would move. Sometimes it's by day, sometimes it's by night. This is timely obedience. You know, you, you go where God bids you to go. Um, when God reveals, your will, reveals his will, then, then you go then. You know, uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. You need to trust God's timing and obey when he says so, right? Verse 22, whether it were two days or a month or a year that the cloud tarried upon the tabernacle, remaining thereon, the children of Israel abode in their tents and journeyed not. And when it was taken up, they journeyed. At the commandment of the Lord, they rested in their tents. At the commandment of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the commandment of the Lord by the hand of Moses. You know, the children of Israelites um, saw providence of God every day. There is some manifestation of providence of God every day. But it wasn't just the fireworks. You know, that's why it was titled the fireworks. There are some, some moments, some key events that will cause you to rejoice greatly when we follow God's will. But, but there are also regular days, Right? That chapter in Ministry of Healing, Help in Daily Living, is one of the chapters I go back to a lot because isn't it true that the bulk of the Christian life, sometimes the hardest thing is the daily living? You know, there's nothing going on. There's nothing, there's nothing fantastic, nothing spectacular. You know, we like hearing testimonies that are fantastic. You know, it's just, oh, God did this. It was dramatic. Something changed immediately. Um, how many can testify? How many do we, you know, how, how often do we testify, I live today faithfully? You know, these are the regular days, the bulk of the Christian life. Daily living, day in, day out, obedient to the will of God. I love these verses because it kind of reflects, you know, my own experience. Um, and I would guess that it's like yours too. It's not like every day. Attend, we attend, you know, days like this, exciting days like this at UIC. What happens during the regular days? Um, again, not as new information. I'm sure you all experience this, but as an encouragement. Sometimes we get discouraged when nothing is going on, when things get hard in our daily lives. But remember that discouragement doesn't mean that God's will has changed for you. Remember the lessons that we learned when we contrast the feelings and the word of God, that we don't rely on impressions alone as a guide for duty. When we are following God's will and we are abiding in his will, don't rely too on your feelings to see, oh, maybe this isn't what God wants me to do anymore. Don't let your feelings be the sole guide of, you know, thinking maybe, maybe this isn't God's will for me anymore. When you're a discouragement, sometimes it means that God is teaching you endurance, perseverance. Um, young people, as young people, sometimes we get so scared of committing to something long-term, right? 
Sometimes we think of our lives, you know, two or three years. When it starts getting, you know, five, six, seven, we start to freak out. Um, that's, that's like a whole chunk of my life, right? But sometimes God is teaching us endurance because there's a story that he wants to reveal to you that you may not realize or you may not learn all that God wants to teach you if you only stay for a short while. If you're only committing two months, um, you won't see the bigger picture. Temptations can come during these regular days. Covetousness. Let's turn to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we, um, we come across the story of Ananias and Sapphira. Verse 1 and 2. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira his wife sold a possession, and they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. The dangerous times, uh, or the dangerous thing sometimes when we follow God's will is we want his will more than himself, more than God himself. Don't covet, don't hold on to God's blessings more than God. Be open to let go. Be, don't, don't cling on to God's blessings or God's rewards more than God. What our commitment should be to God himself is because we love him that we follow his will. Let me turn to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. The last scripture was Acts chapter 5, uh, verses 1 and 2. But, you know, just the whole story, basically. You can get there. Okay. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. God was speaking to Abram at this time. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. Later on, God reveals to him that he would have a son uh, through, through Sarah, um, the promised son. But here in the beginning of the chapter, God is saying, I am your shield and I am your exceeding great reward. The reward of following God is not heaven or some material t- materialistic things, the reward is God himself. Are you understanding what I'm trying to communicate? Um, don't cling on to the blessings of God. Abram's great reward wasn't Isaac. You know, that, wasn't, that wasn't it. God says, I am your exceeding great reward. Be aware of envy also. Uh, sometimes we... When we follow God's will and, you know, nothing's weird is happening or it's just, you know, regular days, we start comparing your calling to someone else's calling. Um, perhaps not, you know, not anything new, but just be aware of this. Fight that tendency to compare your calling with someone else's calling. Your path is decided by God for you alone. And when God gives blessings... He gives them according to his mercy, according to your need. Remember the parable, you know, of the, uh, of the master who spends the day wages, wages to different people, you know, who are working all day, working the third hour, the sixth hour, the eleventh hour workers. Every one of them got a day's wage. It's because each of them needed that day's wage for the family. You know, it's not about, it's not about 
comparing how much you do or how good you are to the next person. God gives according to his goodness, according to his mercy, and according to what you need. Um, tell you a story from canvassing. I spent um, two summers megabooking, and before that time, you know, I thought I wasn't competitive. <laughs> I thought I was just, you know, this chill person. I don't really, at school, I'm not really that competitive, as long as I do well. Um, well, it's not, until, <laughs> it's not until I went canvassing that I realized, oh my goodness, I, you know, I actually would compare myself to, oh, what's the other person, you know, how much did they gain today? How many books did they sell? And I would compare myself to them, you know, and this is, this is all inside, right? I mean, every, on the outside, everything is fine, you know, people see me praying, whatever, um, and I didn't do too badly, but in my heart, it reveals to me that I'm, you know, I, I compare myself with others, and I have this envy, you know, comparing, comparing myself to others. And one day it dawned on me that it's not about your ability or, th- or even your faithfulness that God will reward how many books or how, how much money you will get that day. And I think about the people who went to the canvassing program. You know, some of them need the scholarship to go to school. Some of them go through different financial situations. God will give to each student according to what they need, right? It's not about who's a better canvasser than the other. God apportions his blessings according to his goodness. So be aware of these things. Uh, I'm sure there are others, but if we are aware that these things could happen, we could be prepared, you know, that we can exercise our faith when, when we come across them. So I was mentioning before trials are opportunities for faith. This is a powerful quote from that same chapter in Ministry of Healing, chapter 40. It says, God never leads his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose which they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. That's a radical statement. It's saying that if we know what God knows, if we could see like God sees. It's God who can see the end from the beginning, right? If we can see what he sees, we want exactly what happens to us. Basically, what God wants to happen to us, that's exactly what we want. In fact, we would actually choose that rather than, rather than other things. Now, it's very easy to read, the, read these when we are okay or when we've gone through the trials but saying this and saying amen to this statement is a bit harder when we're actually in the middle of trials, right? I'll tell you a little story. Um, my, when I, um, at the end of my first year in graduate study, that's uh, year 2009, uh, but towards the end of the spring semester, my dad had a heart problem. So I got a phone call, you know, kind of like earlier in the year, uh, my parents, you know, he had something wrong with his heart, had to go through surgery, open heart surgery, you know, because otherwise, if he didn't, according to the counsel of the doctor, if he didn't go through this experience, then, you know, he would have a, maybe like a year, um, a year to live, a year more to live. So, went to get the surgery in Malaysia. My parents lived in Indonesia. Um, and then around maybe March or April, no, maybe February, he had the surgery, open heart surgery, to replace the valve in his heart because it was not functioning properly. You know, I was, I was there in, in Princeton, New Jersey, 
um, going through that experience was super scary, right? Because I remember one time I was taking a shower and the thought, like, my dad is actually going through surgery right now, open heart surgery, you know? I mean, anything could happen. I'm here and he's there. It's very, very scary. So the surgery went well, seemingly, after, after that day. But a few weeks later, you know, I've already, he's already gone home, recovering, looked well. You know, we would webcam and talk, etc. It looked like everything was going well. He was recovering, basically, from the surgery. And then one day, in, at the end of March, um, he got a phone call from my mom that my dad was in a coma at the hospital and that me and my siblings would have to go home um, immediately. So we, we did that. We, you know just left our, our classes and to, uh, went to go home. Um, the day before I left, I realized that I may be going home to say goodbye. A couple days after, after we left, um, after we, we arrived in Indonesia, my dad passed away. It was, it was a Friday night. My dad passed away. Uh, I stayed in Indonesia for a couple of weeks. Um, but that night before I left, when I realized, when it dawned on me that God, you know, it, this, it may be God's will that, that he would not suffer anymore and that he would sleep. Um, I stayed on my knees almost all night to pray, right? And this, this quote came to my mind. I stayed on my knees, was sobbing and all of that, refusing to get up until God gave me something. I mean, just something, you know, uh, uh, an understanding, an answer, Something I didn't want to get up. And this thought came to my mind. If, if the children of God could see the end from the beginning, they would choose to do the same thing that God would choose for them. Um, when I was praying, you know, the feelings, the emotions said, why do we have to go through this? The mind says the other thing. You know, if I actually believe this, it means that if I could see what God sees, I would want this. If it is actually God's will for my dad to die, for my dad to, to sleep at this time. If I could see, if, this, if that is true, if I could see what God sees, I would want this exact same thing to happen to me. That's really hard to say, you know, in the midst of trial. But at the same time, that's, an, that's, that's faith. You know, that's an opportunity for faith. And I, of course, that was a troublesome thought, Right? And I remain in prayer until I change, until I could receive that. And finally, find, finding the courage or finding the, the, um, the faith to say, Lord, I want what you want. You know, in the middle of trial, what we need is faith that cling on to God. Um, stay in prayer. Believe God's word. I mean, the truth, the truth of this quote um, is tested when we're going through trial. To be able to say, God knows what is best for me, and I want what God wants. And talk about God saying no, right? I mean, I, I didn't ask for, for my dad to be around for the rest of my life. I kind of assumed that he would be. But apparently God said, that's not the way, uh, that's not the life I have for you. His children would choose, God never leaves his children otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose 
wish they are fulfilling as co-workers with him. This other quote from the same chapter. You can see how, why I go back to this chapter a lot. The fact that we are called upon to endure trials shows that the Lord sees in us something precious which he desires to develop. If he saw in us nothing whereby he might glorify his name, he would not spend time in refining us. He does not cast worthless stones into his furnace. It is valuable ore that he refines. The blacksmith puts the iron and steel into the fire that he may know what manner of metal they are. The Lord allows his chosen ones to be placed in the furnace of affliction to prove what temper they are of and whether they can be fashioned for his work. The fact that you endure trials, when you go through trials, remember this, God sees something precious in you that he wants to refine. We mentioned about protection. Um, these two verses are promises that we can cling on to. When we are following God's will, we can be assured of his protection. Zechariah 2, verse 5. For I, says the Lord, will be to her, Jerusalem, a wall of fire round about, and I will be the glory in the midst of them. God is going to be the wall of protection around you. Zechariah 2, 8. For thus said the Lord of hosts, after his glory had sent me, his messengers to the nations who plundered you, for he who touches you touches the apple and pupil of his eye. As in, in closing, this, um, this quote, um, as we talk about following God's will, listening and discerning his voice, this is uh, an encouragement, encouragement we can all hold on to. Thus, all who are under the training of God need the quiet hour for communion with their own hearts, with nature and with God. In them is to be revealed a life that is not in harmony with the world, its customs or its practices, and they need to have a personal experience in obtaining a knowledge of the will of God. We must individually hear him speaking to the heart. When every other voice is hushed and in quietness we wait before him, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. He bids us be still and know that I am God. We need to have that individual, personal experience in knowing God's will. And that's why we went through all of this, right? Amen. That purity of heart. Communion with God is essential. You have godly counsels around you. Um, but they're not a substitute to praying and to listening to God. We have encouragements. When God says no, God refuses our prayer. He doesn't leave us alone. He can redeem us, our mistakes. And he can be with us in, our, in these regular days. Um, what we need is a walk with God, um, spiritual mountain climbing, you know, certain endurance that Pastor Shin talked about last night, fixing our eyes on God and not on other people, uh, staying true to the call that God has for us. And one day... One day in heaven, we'll have that ultimate hindsight, right? 2020. One day, all of our questions will be answered. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we went through um, quite a bit of a journey in talking about how we can discover your will. At the core of it, Father, uh, we want to come to you to say that we desire to follow your will, and we 
acknowledge fully that that statement is sometimes not uh, with a pure motive. We have mixed motives and agendas, um, but we ask, Father, that you will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that you can make us perfect, uh, that you can cover us with your righteousness. And I pray um, sincerely for every individual in this room uh, and in this conference that we may be those children who will be in perfect obedience, perfect submission to your will, Father, so that you can do something mighty, that we can obey you when you want to do something radical in the world and we can be used by you. We thank you, Lord. Please be with everyone for the rest of GYC uh, and we look forward to what you will do the rest of the year as we go back to our own houses. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.